Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find our work all over the internet, and we're also pretty good friends, right, Ben? Uh, yeah. Too much hesitation I sense there. To which, and to which of really... those things was I agreeing to? <laughs> all of it. That we're all over the internet or that we're really that... good friends? <laughs> They're not mutually excuse- exclusive. You can agree to both things. Okay. Okay. Ben, tell them where you can find um, where they can find your work. Sure, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and Car and Driver. Ben, we've got some SUVs to talk about this week. Are you ready? I'm very ready. I don't think you're ready. I don't know how I could prove to you I'm more ready in any other way than I'm doing already now. Even that sentence felt awkward coming out of my mouth. It sounds like you're not ready. That's, it sounds that's like what I'm trying to say. we should start talking about cars. Do we have to, though? We could talk about... No, yeah, we're going to do it. I was, I, I had another idea, but no. Okay, this week um, I tested the new 2023 Honda Pilot, um, which is all new, all over, every bit of it. I question and its newness. I'm it gonna, is definitely new. Right, right away, right out of the box, because I think the Pilot is one of those vehicles that has seemed kind of the same for about 10 years. Yeah, this is why it's not it's not it's not that anymore. It's it's different. And that's what's great. What's different about it though? Where do you want me to start? Don't just say everything because everything. No. Now what? So What are you going to do? I'm going to assume it's still powered by a V6 engine. Yes, okay. And that that V6 engine displaces 3 and a half liters. That's only because I told you so. And that, no, 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 this was, I, it came to me in a dream. And that there's no hybrid system. You're dreaming? Is it an Earth dream? It's that, more of a, it's definitely that. an Earth dream. Um, and it, it doesn't have a hybrid system, is that correct? No hybrid. And it pr- produces, so, like, oh, wait, 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 I'm not done. Physically new, but, I'm not but done prediction. conceptually kind of dated. Is that what you're trying to conceptually, say? Conceptually, <laughs> does it still produce in the neighborhood of 280 horsepower? 285. Oh, okay. So I failed his... I'm still not getting what's all new about the pilot. Well, one look at the new pilot, it is new, will make you completely forget about what the old pilot looked like. Because, surprise, you've already forgot what the old pilot looks like because you're thinking of an Odyssey, which is a minivan. So I'm looking at the Honda Pilot now at your suggestion. Yes. And there are two things that jump out to me immediately. The first is, it looks a lot from the front like a Cadillac XT6. No, it has that same that big old grill. Yes, and big old upright grill. At the same time, it looks like the Odyssey from the front because of that grill, which makes it also look kind of like the Kia um, Carnival minivan. No, I wouldn't say that. I think that this this looks much closer to um, a Pathfinder and the Telluride. In terms of overall profile, it's much more upright. Horizontal lines, um, you know, dictate the the design language here. Pathfinder, sure, but XT6, definitely. Yeah, XT6, I've already forgotten what it looks like, so... And I'm too lazy to... I saw... It's it's fresh in my mind because I saw someone driving by in one on the weekend. Wow, and you said, wow, an XT6? Yeah, that was exactly what I said. (laughs) And, And then my mind, like, starts to think, like, the sequence of events... 
that led go, that led to someone buying that vehicle versus any other vehicle. Look, I don't have anything against the XT6. I just no. think it's very it's hardcore average in terms of what it has to offer. And I don't know what the appeal of it is. So I'm assuming you get a good deal on it, you would pick it up. And I think if you got a good deal on it, you're fine. It's it's, it's not a bad vehicle by any stretch of the imagination. It's just one of those weird Cadillacs that's like the XT4 is kind of the same thing. It's they they exist yeah. and people are buying them. But there's not a compelling reason to do that, so I'm always curious as to why. I, I guess it always, always boils down. Why you were one of the most curious kids growing up? It always and, and look where it led me into a locked you. soundproof booth where I do a podcast once per week, and that is the only thing I do with my life. But 300 times, sure. Um, so I see. I see. I'm looking at the older pilot now, and I see how it looks <laughs> different. What? Quote, how, can you, how can you deny that it looks different? I'm not it denying it. Entirely different. I'm telling you, the old one, you could mistake it for an Odyssey minivan. I think it really is an um, amorphous blob shape of a cross. It also had like strong Volkswagen vibes because of that. Because totally. like the, the Atlas is another very nondescript type of, of crossover. Yes, absolutely. So not only does it look like um, an SUV now. It also is offered in a trail sport trim. Now, I know you're going to jump down my throat. You're ready to say it, that the trail sport trim has been around for t- since 2022. I, I know you're you're really angry at me. I thought the trail saying. sport was only available on the Passport, nope. which is the, the slightly smaller version of the uh, Pilot. Nope. The trail sport was offered in 2022 on that uglier version of the vehicle and now is offered on this more SUV-looking version. And instead of just cosplaying um ruggedness this one actually has like actual benefits if you get the trail sport model well what are the uh, the benefits similar to what you would get say on something like a an expedition timberline or i guess sorry explorer timberline or a subaru wilderness of some kind yes but the subaru is a much smaller vehicle um yeah because there is no wilderness version of the ascent not yet not yet um the the benefits i think are actually pretty pretty real there's Real skid plates, um, what's a, real what's metallic. A, what's a real skid, skid plate? plate? Okay, metallic. I, think, I, I hear like, you. Yeah, metal, not plastic that will like just break some more, right? Just another thing to break. It says there's a one-inch suspension lift, but yes. is that it's real or is it tires? Not t- I asked specifically this. It's not tires. And that's a half inch more than the, the older trail sport. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, there is um, some new cameras, like a front-facing camera design that allows you to see one of the biggest issues, I think, with SUVs with those upright grills is, especially if you're going off-road, you can't really see what's in front of the Pretty vehicle. Pretty much any vehicle today is difficult to see out of, especially <laughs> SUVs, I would say. You think visibility is a problem? I, you don't think it's a problem? Um, yeah, I think there's yeah, a dead right. zone in front of most full-size and mid-size SUVs that For extends sure. like three to four feet minimum where you can't see what's directly in front of the vehicle. And that's a serious obstacle when you're off-roading and you need to avoid an obstacle. I need to really work on my word choice these Or, days. you know, a serious obstacle when you're trying not to murderize pedestrians. That too. But anyways, there's this new thing called, you're going to love the name of it, Trail Watch, uh, which is like, it's not a clock. It's not something that tells you the time on the trail. It is just a camera for the, it is just a front-facing camera that lets you know what's going on in front of you. Okay. And it also has guidelines um, that tell you where your tires are. It kind of has like a, it's not quite a fisheye lens look, but it's like half fisheye. I, don't I know have how to questions about it. Trail Watch, Sammy. I have a follow up question about Trail <laughs> yeah, Watch. Trail so, Watch. Trail Watch, this is from the same company, Honda, that gave us that feature where when you put your turn signal on, it would show you the, the area immediately beside. Are you talking about Lane Watch? Yes, Lane Watch. <laughs> and that would be on the infotainment screen. So, 
you would yeah. have to pull your eyes from the road, look down at the infotainment screen, and it only worked on the right side. That's right. <laughs> okay. Is Trail Watch only available when you're in a certain drive mode? Is it, like, similar to that? Um, I thought so, but no, I found out that you can tap this. You can also, like, tap the end of the the wiper stock, and it will also show up. Okay. So it'll show up on, on demand. The other thing I think when I hear the word Trail Watch is that it's, like, the pilot to an er, uh, uh, no pun intended, an <laughs> yeah, early fun. 90s, like... Yeah, Nouveau, we- Nouveau Western. No, oh, okay. Nouveau Western starring like it was like when they weren't sure if Walker Texas Ranger was going to be successful. Yeah. They're like Ch- Chuck Norris was offered this other show called Trail Watch, where basically it, he was trying to he was there was a trail and he had to watch it and shenanigans ensued. So that's what I think of when Next I hear Trail week Watch. On Trail Watch, will they finally get the bear that's stealing everyone's picnic basket? Next week on Trail Watch, still watching. Yeah, <laughs> trail is still there. Um, so those are some really important benefits. There's also um, a revision to the suspension, a revision to the um, off-road system, the sorry, all-wheel drive system. They said that what they're doing. I don't know if this is real or not. You're gonna laugh at me probably when I, I describe it. Hit me with some you. unreal knowledge. <laughs> the 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 off-road the all-wheel drive system is called IVTM4, which has been the name of their you know, torque vectoring all-wheel drive system for a long time, it can send up to 70% of the available power to the rear axle. And then of that power, it's supposed to be able to send 100% of the power to a, a, a wheel that's needed. Or, sorry, 75 to the wheel that has traction. Now, the wheel that doesn't have traction will still get 25% of the, you know, the power because that's the remainder of the seven, of the of the power going to the rear wheels. Okay. And they were very happy to say that they wanted that wheel that's doing nothing getting some power so that when it hits traction, it's not going to do – it's not going to bog the car down or or anything like that. Sure. I don't know if that's a real concern, is it? You know, honestly, I don't think it matters because the 3% of Honda Pilot owners who ever go on anything <laughs> more hardcore than a gravel road probably won't notice. Okay, fine. And they were specifically like noting that this is if you know a wheel is in the air – the car will be able to handle it with, you know, refinement. And we did actually get to test this all out because we went um, up to Sedona, Arizona. We went to the Broken Arrow Trail. We dealt with a, a, a hearty snowfall over there. And we climbed some rocks and we pissed off some Jeep owners, I guess, because they all looked at us, um, you know, in their way and doing everything and scraping up everywhere with our skid plates. And uh, we made it there and back, which is great. I, I, did you know that Broken Arrow is the U.S. military term for a lost nuclear weapon? Why would I know that, Ben? I don't know. Anyway, there's a horrible movie called Broken Arrow that stars Christian Slater and John Travolta, where John Travolta is a pilot who tries to steal a nuclear weapon. Don't ever watch it. It's really bad. I miss Christian Slater. Wasn't he in Mr. Robot? That was like the last thing Robot. I've ever seen him in. His mother, whose name I believe Mary Jo Slater, was a very big casting director in uh, Hollywood for quite a long time. So that, that helped him out as his career started to fizzle. Interesting. Um, I don't think there's any more connections to Christian Slater, so I think um, <laughs> I think if that's the reason you you tuned into our podcast, you downloaded the podcast, you can probably stop now. Yeah, this episode is called Broken Arrow as something of a misnomer, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, John, so that, that was actually one more thing. I think Broken Arrow was John Woo's first American movie. Um, really? Not no, my sorry, Hard part? Target was his first American movie, but I believe Not Broken Arrow. Part. I believe Broken Arrow was a John Woo John Woo movie. Lesser John Woo. Paycheck? What was it called? No, that's not a John Woo movie. Oh, my bad. 
That's okay. We're really drifting. Mission Impossible 2? Yes, Mission Impossible 2 was a childhood okay. movie. Um, chassis is all new. They've redesigned the um, the panels in the body of the vehicle to better withstand the IIHS side impact crash test. There's a new side impact crash test coming, uh, which is supposed to simulate being hit by an SUV of this size directly, you know, like perpendicular to the vehicle, um, which was very impressive. They showed us, you know, what a crashed vehicle looks like. Um, and you know, there's, there's very little intrusion in the, in the passenger space, which, which is handy. There aren't any significant changes to all the safety equipment. I think that's okay. Honda has a, a fairly decent reputation, um, for their safety equipment with the only exception being their, what's it called? Um, forward collision warning can be sometimes a little sensitive. Um, so that happened as well on the trail today. It, it was like. You had to turn you had to turn those features off while you're off roading for well, sure. It's it's odd that they're not turned off automatically when you're when in you trail into, mode. Yeah, yeah, when you go into trail mode, it would seem to be something you would want to do. The other, I do have a question for you though about we we kind of didn't talk about it very much, but the engine might be exactly yep. the same in every single way. It is not the same. It but... is a completely redeveloped <laughs> engine from every bit of it, but it's just the same size and makes five more horsepower and the same amount of torque. So the identical engine so, does come with a brand new transmission, which you didn't yeah, mention. It comes with a 10-speed automatic transmission. I, I also want to add that they specifically pointed out that this new engine will make 50%, uh, between 40 and 50% less emissions, which I need to point out to our listeners does not always translate to something you'd benefit at the pumps. You know what I mean? It might no. be more efficient, but... You know, not exactly fuel efficient. But in Europe, I believe there's a lot of regulations concerning tailpipe emissions. So that's why you see this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. This pilot is this V6 pilot is definitely going to be in in something in Europe, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't understand why the trail sport exists at all. But but the 10 speed automatic, I actually really liked. Um, It is probably my highlight of the powertrain here. Um, one of the most important things about it is it has a lower first gear, so it means that the vehicle is a little bit more responsive off the line. It feels really um, speedy, but it also can downshift four gears at a time, which I think is a really important element for these, you know, let's talk about dual-digit um, transmission, automatic transmissions. They yeah, need for to sure. be able to swap down. Um, I think four is a really good is a good number. And that, the close. nine speed that was in this before, I mean, how did you feel about that? It was, it was adequate. It, it 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 felt like an appliance. You know what I mean. And I think this one is much more responsive. It feels like it's eager to do what you wanted to do when you're on the road. And I think that's really nice. So, uh, you know, I was I was kind of being flippant when I was talking about Trail Sport just now. But yeah. if you think about it, Honda is a company that, unlike say Toyota, which has a long history off road. And even Nissan, which has not as long, I guess probably as long a history off-road. Yeah. Honda never really had that. They never had any kind of body-on-frame vehicles that they built. They never had a real truck division. And so they're, that in some ways, it makes you feel like, oh, um, this is a company that is kind of on the outside looking in when it comes to tradition. Yes. But it also frees them up. Like they don't necessarily have to follow convention in the same mm-hmm. way. They don't have a a a base of buyers who would be, you know, like when Jeep makes a change to the headlights when they went from oh, yeah, and everyone, brown headlights to square headlights, everyone freaked out. Honda is everyone free freaked out and threatened to not buy the vehicles yeah. and then immediately rescinded their threats and bought all of the vehicles. So, um, <laughs> so they're not, they're not beholden to that kind of legacy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. When you look at a trail sport vehicle, do you see any benefits from that? Do you see Honda being able to kind of break free and be like, 
you know what? Here's the best parts of going off-road without all of the, like, unnecessarily hardcore aspects that most people aren't going to need. Is that something that's represented by this, or is this just kind of a marketing ploy? It doesn't seem to be a marketing ploy, and I talk to them a lot about whether or not this is just a, hey, us too kind of thing. Um, they say that they've been working on this for about five years, and they had first started with the last generation one. A couple of uh, employees made some really basic adjustments to the vehicle and suspension system and a little bit of the off-road tuning, and then took some execs out for a ride on some trails. And not just um, like trails outside their, their headquarters in Ohio, but to trails all over the country to show what is feasible, like what is doable with their with their current pilot at the time. And... Um, how little of, I guess, or how easy it will be for them to, I was going to say how little of an investment it would be, but I don't know if that's true. Um, but how easy it would be for them to keep up with some of their rivals, um, who are also boasting off-road credibility. They also said that they ended up going to a lot of parks and they saw a lot of people with family vehicles, um, just leave parking their their cars at the in the parking lot and just hauling all their stuff around. And they're like, we wanted to show that that was not the that's that you don't have to sacrifice that um, with a vehicle. You can what do you take mean by hauling vehicle. all their haul, hauling all their stuff around? So like taking their coolers or their tents or their um, boats or canoes or whatever. Sorry, not boats, but canoes up and down a trail. They're saying you can take the actual vehicle up with you with all that stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, You'd probably put the the canoes on the roof. You right? know what's funny is that uh, back in the '90s, Honda saw all these car companies that were starting to get into um, SUVs. They did, and, and, yeah. and Honda didn't have anything in in their pocket that they could just put out in the market. Like Toyota had Land Cruiser. And, did they get an Isuzu or a Suzuki or something? No, they they did something even crazier than that. They uh, they got a Land Rover. <laughs> oh and yeah, they sold the Land Rover. I believe it was the the, the Discovery. Um, it might have been the Range Rover. I can't remember exactly. As the passport, that was the first passport. That's right. Um, and it was the to this day, it remains the only V8 Honda that has ever been sold like to retail customers. And because hmm. it, when I say they got a Land Rover, that's all they did. They just took it and put different badges on it, and then sold it to cu- customers who were no doubt super bewildered as to why their Honda was incredibly unreliable. <laughs> um. I wanted to almost finish up our conversation here and talk a little bit about the interior of the um, and the pricing of this vehicle. Interior of the Honda, I think, is is pretty good. It I, they've they've always had a really good reputation, I think, for quality and and build quality. I'm happy with it. Uh, they've also maintained, you know, physical and touch controls in the vehicle, so the infotainment system is decent. It could be bigger, I think. Um, I think it only tops out at about nine and I think some of the competition has bigger screens altogether, but if it works, there's not much to complain about. They've removed the option for a rear seat entertainment system, which I thought was curious, but I also do of course realize that probably people today, um, don't use rear seat entertainment systems, but they no, probably everyone, just have their own device. Exactly. Like that, right? Exactly. They all have their own. I have a, uh, a Sienna right now that has a really big screen for the second row. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out like who would be using that. I also need to correct myself earlier. The, the Honda badged Land Rover was not called the passport. It was called the crossroad. And it came before the passport. You were right. The, the pa- passport. The passport is an Isuzu. The passport was an Isuzu. It was the the utility wizard, uh, I believe, rebadge, <laughs> which is what it was called in Japan. Um, and that happened in like '93. And I think the passport or the the crossroad was like just before that, or exactly the same time of year. They only sold it in Japan and like New Zealand. It was kind of a kind of an odd 
So you could go, you, you get a passport or you could get a crossroad. And they sold it for about five years. It's interesting because um, in that period, Rover Group, which was building Land Rover at the time, they 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 bought was bought by BMW. And that's yep. how BMW got Mini, uh, which it still owns. But for a brief period of time, they owned Land Rover. And uh, Honda was kind of freaking out because they're like, you know, we have this deal. We're making these crossroads. But they managed to work things out. And they kept selling them until like 98. <laughs> and then they, the, the, the disco was gone from the market at that point, and And Honda was kind of walked back their partnership. Um, I was talking about the, the interior. One of the things that I thought was um, a creative decision by Honda is that they'll, they're going to sell all of their top trim versions of this vehicle with an eight passenger setup, meaning two benches, essentially one in the second row and one in the third row. But the middle seat in the second row is removable. You can you can pick it up and take it out. Um, there's a space in the cargo area beneath the floor for this this segment. So it's like limo style. Limo style. Well, you can sit in the back and then remove the second row, is what you're saying. Yeah, but you can only take the middle segment, that one seat. Oh, okay, just the second. Okay, I see what yeah. you're saying. And that seat is 30 pounds. It is not exactly the easiest thing to pick up and haul around. Um, and I was curious as to whether or not um, you think a shopper will will constantly move this one seat in and out of the vehicle, or if they're just going to say, well, I only need the seven seats, we're going to leave this thing in the back, and that's that's it. Well, Toyota did the same thing with the Highlander, right? Like, they've had that removable center section for quite a while. Um, I don't know how light or heavy it was, but my, my, my question is, is this the only availability for the second row, or can you get captain's chairs? You can get captain's chairs, like the Trail Sport, for example, comes with, with captain's chairs instead. But as far as I understand, the top trim models only come this way. That is a little weird. That is weird, isn't it? I don't know how. And they're many like people. they're very it's, happy. They're like you know this will let people choose between the added spaciousness of having the captain's chairs or the added practicality of having the. No, but but really, we both know it's going to be the thing you take out once, leave in your garage, and forget That's what about. I think. Yeah. Well, you I don't even so. need to leave it in the garage. You can put it in the in like I said in the trunk, which has a special space for it, and it doesn't impact um, cargo space. It's basically under the under the floor. But you're hauling around thirty pounds of weight. Exactly. You're not, yeah, you're not using, which is kind of frustrating. And I was really like caught off guard because if you like, if you take, I could just, you know, I, maybe I'm like, I don't plan things out very often sometimes. So if I was to like open the trunk and be like, oh, it's time to put that thing in, you have to take that seat out. Then you have to realize, oh, it's not like a minivan, which has power doors or something. Yeah, I it's a little like, bit Tetris. I have to now open the door, the, the side door, put it in there. And other way around, if the, if the trunk is closed and I want to take this out i have to you know somehow figure out a way to put this uh the seat i don't want to put on the ground maybe it's dirty and fumble my way into open into the trunk and that cargo that cargo tray which also doesn't have a hinge it's just a flap so it will constantly fall in the way now imagine really also annoying imagine you're doing all of this (laughs) off-road yeah also Of course. You're standing oh, in a stream. You picked up a hitchhiker? Yeah, you picked up a hitchhiker. You're standing in a stream. There's a fly fisherman there, a fisherwoman, and they're like, hey, I twisted my ankle. I need yeah, to ride back to civilization. And you're like, well, I've got this trail sport. It can go anywhere civilization happens to be. And uh, to do that, though, you need to get that seat out because you already have six of your friends with you yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, so that's a little Well, uh, bad news is the trail sport doesn't have that. No. Oh, so so that yeah. person has to walk, basically. Yeah, exactly. Or you have to leave one of your friends. So you're fishing. unintentionally responsible for the death of a Fisher person. I think that's a serious concern that Honda 
I hasn't thought about, really. It's definitely a market, a gap in the market, I guess is what, <laughs> what I would call it. Um, the vehicle starts at, um, I have a price, I will tell you it right now. There's two-wheel drive versions of this car still? Wow. It starts at $40,000 for the two-wheel drive sport trim and goes all the way up to $53,000 for the elite all-wheel drive version of the vehicle. Um, I think, finally, the Pilot is sitting among the upper echelon of, or the upper tier of three-row crossovers in this class, and I don't think it was like that before. I think the styling, the packaging, the performance of the last generation one really held it back a lot, um, and we end up talking, that's also why I think the Telluride and, and Palisade were able to come in and just dominate the segment because I think the competition in it was fairly limited. Well, this and- is this leads to me to my final question before we wrap up is we have to do our regular comparison to the Palisade. Yeah. And does this, how does this stack? Because the Palisades, you know, tops out at 52,000 pretty yep. much. And how does the pilot, in, in terms of presentation and feeling premium at that price point, compare to it? I, okay, the Palisade still feels more premium. I mean, I think there are so many little details in the Hyundai, like those, I think they call it knurled, like that textured um, controls and stuff like that, that is just not happening on these mainstream vehicles from Honda or Toyota. I, th- I think detail matters in a luxury yeah. setting. And, and you're spending over 50 grand for sure. And we're not even talking about luxury vehicles and Hyundai is making that effort. So, uh, you know, yes. uh, that's interesting to, I, interesting to hear. I do think that the powertrain is fairly responsive in this new in this new pilot, and the the off road credibility gained by the the Trail Sport model is also an advantage. I I just don't think the rest of it will will stack up. I can't wait to do a, a real head to head comparison with these things and let you know how they feel. But I do think that they're now in that in that company, like confidently they're in that company, the top tier of the segment. Okay. Well, moving from the Honda Pilot to something that is more, I guess, established in the top tier. Uh, I want to talk about the time I spent with the 2023 Land Rover Range Rover Sport. Very cool. Now, I've driven the Range Rover Sport, but I drove a bunch of different trims of them with with various time in in each. Which model did you have? Which engine did you have under the hood? I drove the P400. Um, Okay. I believe the actual name is P400 SE Dynamic. That's, That's kind of... So there's four different trims... Currently, there's the 360 and the 400, and those are both with a turbocharged straight six. Uh, the base is 355 horsepower. The top trim is 395, and it's just a little bit over 400 pound-feet of torque. That's the same engine that I had in the Discovery 130 that I drove uh, a few weeks ago. And that – sorry, yeah, dis- not Discovery 130, Defender 130. <laughs> yeah. And that Defender, that's the only engine you can get in the 130. But the um, – the the sorry i don't know why i'm stumbling over this the range rover sport can be had with a plug-in hybrid as well uh yes. that's on the i've driven uh, that one yeah so that's an autobiography trim it gives you 434 horsepower it's pretty cool i think you can drive like 50 miles on the battery which is pretty neat yeah uh and has dc fast charging yeah but which, which is <laughs> completely weird yeah we, we we i remember us uh finding that very amusing but you can also get a twin turbo v8 523 horsepower and that's like uh 4.3 seconds to 60, which is pretty ridiculous for a vehicle of this size. But all of that to say, the Range Rover Sport has finally kind of caught up to, I think, the BMW X5 in terms of its drivetrains. Like, the plug-in version of the X5 has been around for a long time. There's been a straight six for a long time, and there's been a V8. The Range Rover didn't really have that going. They had the supercharged V6. They had the supercharged V8. Um, they didn't have a plug-in, really. And they didn't really have a hybrid. So... It's it's interesting to see this is this is a total redesign and it rides on the same platform as the big Range Rover. In fact, it's the same wheelbase. 
but it's it's slightly smaller dimensionally. I don't know if it's as wide, but it's definitely shorter. And you can still get it with three rows if you want. So if you want to stuff people in the back, I don't really recommend doing that. The version I had, I did not investigate the rear seat because I do not feel like that is the optimal use case of the yeah. Range Rover Sport. Um, but yeah, I had the six. I, I It was an engine I was familiar with from having driven it earlier. I believe it's an eight-speed automatic. All-wheel drive is standard. You get air suspension across the board, which is another nice feature, which is okay, again, yeah. something you're not going to get necessarily from a Mercedes or a BMW at this size. Um, if you look at this vehicle, Sammy, from a distance, it looks almost exactly like a Range Rover. I mean, is that a bad thing? If you see it from the front and the side, from the rear, it doesn't have the same kind of you mean, weird. You mean the Range Rover, like the full size real Range Rover? Yeah, the Rover. Range Rover, hate, Range Rover. I hate that this is a conversation we have to have. But yes, it looks like the flagship SUV, right? Yeah, not from the rear, but from all other angles. It's very I similar. Think that's a good thing. Who, who cares? Why Why would that be a problem? I it's not a problem. Are... I'm saying it's a very good thing because this costs a lot less money. It starts around 80 grand. Yeah. Um, and I believe it tops out at 120 for like the first edition, which is, I had a first edition defender as well. They just throw all the gear at you. Um, uh, but the, I, I think that the more volumey one, the autobiography plug-in hybrid is around a hundred grand. So there's a pretty big ranger, like 85,000 to 120,000. And the one I drove was about 90 grand with the extra power. Uh, I can tell you that right away, I notice the difference in weight between the defender 130 and and this Range Rover Sport, it is much, much quicker to drive the Range Rover Sport and uh, handling. That's, that's interesting. So I, I'm eager to hear you. You're about to say handling because the one of the one of the people I talked to at the launch event of this uh, Range Rover Sport said that it no longer felt like the Sport in its name meant anything dynamically. And I was curious if if that's I didn't think that mattered. First of all, I'm, I'm a, of the mindset that an SUV can only be so yeah engaging to drive i think that if you had the v8 it would feel a lot sportier i'm not saying i'm I'm saying i'm comparing it to a three row extended yeah. extended giant defender with the same yeah. motor i just wanted to point out that this motor is pretty good if you're not weighing it down as much as you are i think there's probably at least a 500 pound difference hmm. between those vehicles if not more um it it was it the, the performance was fine. Like, I thought the motor was a much better match for the Range Rover Sport. I found it very smooth. Handling is completely adequate. Um, I did not go... Uh, I did not put as many miles on this vehicle as I did on the Defender. But when I did drive it, I was relatively impressed. It it feels a lot smaller, obviously, than the Defender. Um, even the, the 110, I think it would feel smaller than that. It's just not as bulky. It's a... Uh, it's a good proxy for the X5. I think the X5 feels larger and is probably larger inside. But the Range Rover Sport was perfectly useful. Cargo space is really decent. Um, I think this is... What Range Rover really needed to do was kind of meet the Germans where they were. And with this new line of engines that they have, the new style... Well, one of the engines is a BMW engine altogether. So Which one helps. is that? The V8. The V8. Okay, so I, I haven't driven that that model. But uh, it's 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 much more. I, you don't really necessarily feel it's old, it's old tech like you might have felt in the previous Range Rover Sport. A couple of areas though were a little puzzling. Uh, my vehicle had these door panels that were made of kind of like a a gray I don't know felt or like mesh material. Had you encountered that when you were driving it? I don't think so. It was just strange. What it, do you mean by this? Well, like just a really like where you shab- would normally find. Feel- no, where you would normally find like a fabric or a leather, it just kind yeah. of felt like 
I don't know. It didn't it, where you where I expected suede. I kind of encountered some mm. kind of mesh. It was just strange. It it didn't necessarily look high end, which I I thought was a little weird. I think in maybe the higher trim levels, this is they, they replace this with some other type of material where you touch it and then you're scared to touch it again because you're worried <laughs> that it's going to be really expensive to clean. Um, <laughs> yeah. The other thing about the interior is it's very basic. Like everything really relies on the center stack screen or the screen in front of you. And there are minimal controls for that on the center console. Like it's, 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 you get some dials for the heating controls and the heated seats. You get a dial for drive mode, which is like really far away from the driver, which is a little bit surprising to me. Mm-hmm. But other than that, pretty much everything else is on the screen. So it's very plain in its presentation. It's not bad, but the detail is not necessarily there. So it's kind of odd when I look at the outside of the vehicle, which I find to be fairly attractive. And then you're on the inside and it's it's just okay, I guess is what right. I'm saying. Um, that's unfortunate because I usually find that the the cabin, to me, themed um, high-end but a little, a little minimalist, a little boring, yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess minimalist is maybe the word I was going for. And then there were all these, like, uh, touch-sensitive controls – um, I think they had them on the steering wheel. This is something that Jaguar Land Rover loves to do, and I'm not sure it, it, it enhances the the usability of the vehicle or not. No, it's it's not great. I uh, especially if you're wearing gloves, you, mm-hmm. you never know if you push something hard enough or if you're holding it down the right way. And there's a lot of context sensitive menus that are found, and not just menus, but also controls that are found in the vehicle. Like you have to go pretty deep in some of the menus to access various things on the dash cluster the gauge cluster that's right in front of the driver. Yeah. And then if you want to do heated seats, like you have to push the the button you would normally use to control I liked, the vehicle temperature. I like this. I like this aspect of reusing some controls um, where they're like where necessary. I don't think, you know, heated seats are something that you're constantly adjusting. I think I heated kind of seats are something that I automatically look for as soon as I get in a car in the winter though. Like it's, That makes sense. And I know? think that some sometimes, I think some of these premium vehicles have like an automatic... You know, they'll turn them on when the temperature reaches a certain level. Have sure. you ever had something like that before? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily a Band-Aid for confusing design. I guess sure. that's where I'm going with that. Okay. Um, so a little plainer, a little more minimalist than I would have expected, but quite comfortable. Um, the handling is perfectly fine. It's quieter inside than the Defender. I just like the idea. I, I realize I keep referencing the Defender because it's what I drove from the same we, company. Very, yeah. You know, all, it was back to back, essentially. But what I like is that there's these two Land Rovers that are so different. And how many times do we get into a vehicle from an SUV from a company that feels yeah. exactly like the SUV that that company makes in a slightly different size? Absolutely. I mean, we've we've had this issue with a number of different companies. Something like I think the Honda, I think the old Honda Pilot uh, felt identical to the Passport, to the minivan, to the uh, CRV. It was really impossible to to tell um, definitively which one you were you were driving without taking a look at the. <laughs> The, the badge in the back. And I even think Subaru looking... has this issue as well. It feels like they have like a modular system uh, where you just, you know, it's just the same car. And and even when you're looking at BMW, you know, we re- I really like the X5 and I do like the X7. But an X7 is, it comes across as, as a larger X5 and everything that yeah. comes with that. Whereas yeah. the, the Range Rover Sport doesn't feel like a smaller Defender. It feels like an entirely different vehicle, and I and and it's a different product line, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that a company is able to do that, and there aren't necessarily any other companies out there that only make SUVs like Land Rover does, at least operating you know outside of the G- boutique Jeep space. Jeep does. 
Jeep does. Okay, you're right. Sorry, I don't know why. But I mean, when we look at Jeep, that's <laughs> total. Product, as a Jeep owner, like I feel like that was a major fail there. I guess I was product, thinking luxury. Yeah, their products can span the luxury side with their Wagoneer, Grand Wagoneer, Cherokee. Uh, sorry, and Grand Cherokee. And then they've got like these kind of like budget-oriented ones, like the Compass and Renegade. And then they've got the Wrangler that sits in like on its own somewhere else and doesn't feel a thing like anything else that they make. The Wrangler doesn't feel anything like the Grand Cherokee. And I would say that, you know, even a a Cherokee Cherokee doesn't feel anything like the Grand Cherokee. No. Uh, But then you get to the Grand Cherokee versus the the Grand Wagoneer, and there's a lot of similarities there. Even the Gladiator and the Wrangler don't really feel the same. Well, they're not the same platform. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, So so I guess maybe SUV companies are good at doing this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think... You're right. Maybe SUV companies are good at this, but JLR, Jaguar Land Rover makes a lot of cars as well and crossovers mm. um, like the F-Pace, the E-Pace um, and I-Pace. Man, what a ridiculous name. Yeah. Name. And I don't feel any any of that inside. The exactly. Land Rover, you know, I which think is that's great. Really good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good point. I think maybe the the automakers that are used to making cars and use the same platform and powertrains across their car lineup, across their like. SUV-ified cars, you know, these crossovers, and then their SUVs, they they have this problem with differentiation. And I think now we're looking at how SUV companies really manage this um, this, this problem of making each of their vehicles feel and look and, and act differently. They're, t- they're managing pretty well, which is, which is good to hear. So I don't have too much more to say about the Range Rover Sport. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to drive it as much as I wanted to, but it was uh, it was kind of a last minute fill in for me on the schedule. Um, I think the main question I think everyone will have is it com- is it competitive now in the world of like X threes yeah. or X five? I think and, it's competitive sh- with the X five. Uh, I yeah. think that the X five interior has more to offer just in terms of the design. Uh, but other than that, I feel like there's similar experiences. Again, the materials. Not having driven the top spec one, it's a little hard to say. Okay. But I think that it is something that if you are in the market for a mid-sized to large luxury SUV, you owe it to yourself to put the Range Rover on that. The caveats, as always, are reliability. Mm-hmm. Land Rover does not have a good reputation for reliability. It is a well-deserved reputation for not being reliable. Unfortunately, that's the reality with these vehicles. There are also some weird quirks that you're going to encounter with the infotainment system. They're not quite as advanced as their competitors. It's getting better every year. Yep. But it's still not the smoothest system to use. Um, that's a big. I still think that's a big jump. I think they went from being a little obscure in the segment. Um, I think the X5, the Cayenne, the GLE have all managed to, and probably a lot of people have bought Lexus RXs. Well, um, I don't think there are RXs in this conversation. I don't know. The RX just sells so much, and it's yeah, a but it's, size. it's thirty thousand dollars cheaper. Okay. Um, I think that. There's all these vehicles that people would have got instead of and probably completely forgotten about the Range Rover Sport. And now for it to be in that in that conversation, I think it's a big upgrade. And also, as you mentioned from the top of the, the segment, it looks like the Range Rover. And the Range Rover is a very expensive vehicle. And one plus one equals expensive in the minds of people who are looking for a vehicle that you know projects class and, and whatever. It's there is a there is status that goes with having a Range Rover. Um, and the Range Rover Sport is adjacent to that status. And for most people, I think they won't be able to tell the difference. 
and that's going to be an advantage that I think maybe other luxury SUVs don't necessarily have. Like, I don't think anyone looks at a Macan and thinks it's a Cayenne, but I also don't think anyone looks at a Cayenne and gives it the same kind of status as a Range Rover. It doesn't have the history. So this is kind of a, an X factor that works in the Range Rover sports favor. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and do you think that pricing is, is competitive enough or does it even matter? It's, I think you're paying a bit of a premium for the Range Rover Sport that maybe you wouldn't elsewhere. Okay. Anything else you want to add this week? No, I think that's, I think that ties things up for me. Sammy, um, if people wanted to add something by reaching out to us, asking us questions, asking me why I forgot Jeep was a brand, um, how would they do that? Uh, they can do that really easily by heading on uh, over to our website. There's a contact form when you go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, fill that out. It lands in our inbox. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin, where he's posting a lot of photos of his Jeep. Or you can go to Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. Um, or you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And if you wanted to find the podcast, if you are listening to this on a friend's phone or something like that, and you're not sure you want to subscribe yourself, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can subscribe there, or you can ser- you can search us on any major podcast supplier. We are out there, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We would love it if you were to provide a review of some kind or just like a rating or whatever you can do. It helps get us in front of a larger audience. And Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? Um, I'm going to have my hands in a Honda Odyssey, the minivan. What okay. about you? I'm going to be, I mean, also in a minivan, the Toyota <laughs> Sienna. So that's going to be a little bit of a minivan face-off, I think. The van cast, of course. All right. I well, can't wait to talk to you about it because minivans are always an interesting subject, despite what people think. All right. So thank you for listening, everybody, and tune in next week for Vancast. Bye.